Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path Ventures actual play of the Tales from Dark Moon Vale. This is our campfire chat number two. Welcome. Yay. They said we'd never make it. <laughs> did they? Who said that? Mm, they did. <laughs> Whoever they is. Let's settle in by the fire here, take a look at our surroundings, and make sure that there's no wolves on the way. Or stupid giant spiders. <laughs> so many spiders. Well, there's only one giant spider. And that's Ross. <laughs> Ross, you and I can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry. Um, Look, uh, you know, this is a little awkward because I thought my human suit was pretty good, but <laughs> apparently I've been discovered. So, haha, I'm an expert in perception. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, let's go on ahead and now that we're around the fire, uh, get started with episode four. The episode where y'all were keeping watch overnight. Oh, and poor Reggie was so chubs. <laughs> yeah, she got a little overfed. Too many s'mores. I need Reggie to become a familiar, y'all. It's yeah. worth a little weight gain for this. She can slim down afterwards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's so mean. No, that's so mean, y'all. Don't overfeed your pets. Whoa. No. What was that cartoon with like Chip and, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers? Anyway, and how they had like a little workout gym for Monty, and it was just like a mm-hmm. toothpick with two like cheese wheels on it, and just uh, <laughs> yeah, bat doing little like push-ups. <laughs> All I keep imagining when she's so chubby is uh, spirited away the little baby that turns into a mouse and is so fat. Oh yes, 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 yes. Oh. See, now I was thinking Pocahontas. Oh. Whenever the raccoon ate too many of the snacks. Oh yeah, Miko. Mm-hmm. There are lots of <laughs> animated fat animals. And they're cute. <laughs> Truly, the most important thing to happen that night was Reggie, and uh, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> moving on. Reggie's the main yeah, character. Yeah, Reggie's story, also clearly. moving on. Episode five. <laughs> also, I don't know if it actually completely justifies Amaranth only having a spell book with first level spells, but I do like the idea that he traded all of his other spell books for magic beans to make this familiar. <laughs> Maybe. We'll never know. Or if he just has the rest of the book is actually filled up with higher level spells, he just has totally forgotten how to cast. Or I imagine maybe Reggie did nibble on it a little bit, ate like one little section, and now he doesn't know the ingredients that he needs. He once spilled coffee on it, and so like the last pages are all like water damage with coffee. (laughs) And he's just like, well, I guess I'm a first level wizard now. Reggie was uh, conked out. Amaranth also was talking in his sleep a lot. Yeah. True, about a duchess or something. Yeah. Yep. Another episode in his long, long life, it seems. And uh, you also, there were some wolves or something, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, there was like a warg or something. And it was watching us through the woods. I'm sure it's fine and no big deal at all. You know, whatever that was, it's some other adventurer's problem. It's the Jagari's problem. I appreciate that Grim tried to talk to it and said, we're not going to bother you. And then we immediately marched to its lair. Well, no, that's not what he said. He said said that we had, like, a mission, and if you leave us be, we'll leave you be. Yeah, like, if those wolves hadn't attacked us, I know us as a group. We would have just sauntered right through that uh, that opening and not bothered with the wolves Oh, that's totally true, yeah. Yeah. We would have been like, oh, puppies, and we would have kept going. We could have been (laughs) in peace. We would have probably fed them or something. (laughs) That's true. Definitely would have. Clove would have. No, you, uh, you spoke to the warg. The warg didn't actually say anything back, and then... From there, you moved on to the monastery itself, the Dwarven Monastery of Droskar. That guy. Now Droskar. That was sad. Honestly, the more I hear about him, the more I'm like, this is a really cool Dwarven deity, (laughs) y'all. 
Heather is so hilariously <laughs> like, if it's evil and shady, Heather's going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Droskar is basically, because they share the shadow domain. So Droskar is basically like Zonkathun's lazy roommate that just sits on the beanbag all day. <laughs> He's like Shane if you played Stardew yeah. Valley. Yeah, uh, basically. Uh, See, I was thinking but Shane of the Dead where you got Sh- That's yeah. true. You've got Sean and then you've got his like lazy roommate. Oh yeah, Sean of the Dead. Nick, uh, yeah, yeah. I think. So yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like Zonkathon's Ed. over there in the corner with like, you know, his headphones on listening to his depressing emo music in the meantime. Roscar <laughs> <laughs> is just sitting there with a pile of beer cans around him. <laughs> Like just pressing PlayStation that. buttons every once in a while. This is yeah. amazing, and I love it. It's like, are you <laughs> watching through Breaking Bad again? Yeah, there's nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My really dude, we have Netflix. Guy. Yeah, I didn't feel like looking for anything. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, that person uh, that when Netflix suggests the next thing, he just clicks the button and moves on. <laughs> yeah. nice. Are you watching a documentary on Snells? I don't know. <laughs> like, are you still watching? Yes, but not really. <laughs> this is this is now my official headcanon, by the way. It's done. Headcanon? This is actual canon, Heather. <laughs> this is Drawscar now. Welcome to second edition. <laughs> We're official partners. We can claim that. I don't think that's true. I, I don't think that's, uh, that's true at all. True. Well, I didn't go that far, right? Well, actually, I kind of did, didn't I? Um, anyway. Um, someone get Luis on the phone. All right. <laughs> Just Luis. Just make it canon. <laughs> Let's do it. But uh, yeah, from there, you defeated the wolves. And uh, yeah, well done, Australia again for doing it non-lethally. That was well done. I, I was almost yeah. eaten. Yeah, that's true. They uh, they oh, yeah. messed two of you up. Well, they really messed up uh, Celestine. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, I need my leg. Yeah. It, it helps me walk. Yeah. It's- yeah. It's weird because I keep doing this thing where I'm like, okay, Clove is going to rage, but Clove is only going to rage when Clove is scared. So I'm going to delay until Clove is scared and then she'll rage and have her turn. But that leads to her not going where she should be going because she should have gone before the wolves, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But then but but Clove as a character is like, but they're wolves. I feel so bad. A lot like Estrella, except Clove has like the rage thing that makes her do things she doesn't want to do. So I feel bad. But also it was good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the rage thing, we did get to learn about Clove's um, Rose. I was gonna. Say, I don't even know the correct term for it. Possession, spirit, Your possession. spirit buddy, instinct, spirit mm-hmm. buddy. Yes, <laughs> good old spirit buddy Rose. Yeah, is she a good old spirit buddy? I'm gonna propose that we call her Rosemary. She is Rosemary. Because we routinely call Rosamund Rose. Uh, so yeah. when you say I Rose, I immediately think of Rosamund. And Rosamund came first and is also so. so well, and Rosamund acts very cool differently buddy. from Rosemary. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's true. They're not really the I same. I should have picked a different herb. Yeah. <laughs> she, I mean, either was time. She should have been time. Is, yeah. Yeah. She, she could have been time. time. That's kind of weird. It's rage time. Could have named her Basil. <laughs> I was going to say Basil. Yeah. Basil's a boy yeah. name. Little Basil. Well, I mean, if you say Basil, it sounds a little bit more feminine. How about oregano? Yeah, I was just, just going <laughs> to say oregano. <laughs> name her Paprika. And that's all Paprika. the spices. Oh, yeah. oh, paprika would have been exotic. <laughs> there you go. Too bad. She's already rosemary. Yeah. All right. Such is life. But uh, yeah, then. She could have been Papa. You accidentally knocked down the door. Um, I don't think. I mean, I think. <laughs> quote, unquote. 
I think not accidentally so much as Celestine was like, hey, I bet if I push on this, it'll fall over. <laughs> and uh, she was right. And it did. <laughs> yeah. Very funny. And <laughs> very scientific experiment. That takes us into episode five. Sorry, I did have I did have one question pertaining towards episode four. Yeah, sure. What's up? Uh, and this is mostly for us, but I think everyone can weigh in on this. How fair do you feel that the automatic knockdown that wolves have is oh he's salty no no i'm actually i honestly personally i believe it's a fair mechanic it, it was an interesting mechanic for sure i do believe it is fair and the reasoning that i agree with them is that the only way they can do that is if they successfully attack you first and it is still a and still have an action, action remaining yes so yes. like if they get okay. a sneaky hit on their third attack they're not going to be able to knock you over if they had to move, oh, they may not okay. be able to knock you over. Well, that's not as bad then. Yeah. It's just that you approached them first and got to them beforehand. Yeah. I found it interesting because, you know, trip is still a combat maneuver mm-hmm. that you can do in yeah. second edition. It's an athletics check now. Mm-hmm. So, like, I could have seen it being an opposed athletics check, but they don't really provide you with all of the skills that a monster has. Yeah. They just true. give you a general idea of these are the ones that are probably going to be pertinent. Yeah. And then just let you roll with the rest. That I'm still a little salty on. Yeah, I mean, for the wolves, <laughs> they do include athletics, but also I think it's just because wolves have, you know, wolves and most canids in general are so well regarded for, you know, knocking people over that I think it's justified. Well, and standing up isn't going to provoke, so. I mean, it still technically most does, isn't gonna provoke. but most well, things yeah, but don't have an attack of opportunity anymore. If the wolf has attack of opportunity also, then yeah, okay, that's not fair. And it doesn't. Like, wolves don't yeah. actually have <laughs> attacks of opportunity. I don't think they have any reaction. The I think what's might. interesting is it does highlight how much our, like, you know, whether we, we like to admit it or not, we've played Pathfinder first edition. We know pretty much what a wolf is. And now we're going into these fights and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what these things can do anymore because like that was a complete surprise to That's me. Fun. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of refreshing because everything's just a little bit different. I don't know. I, I always prefer to have a chance to like avoid things. I feel like everybody should get a role, monsters and people to avoid bad things like getting knocked on your butt happening to you. Then don't well, get hit. In first edition, there's an illusion of that where there's it's like if you're fighting a monster of your same challenge rating, but this monster is a giant freaking squid, and it's like, oh, if it hits you with the tentacle, it gets a grapple check. But its grapple bonus is so monstrously high that even the fighter has almost no chance of avoiding but it. But there's still a chance. Yeah, but if you're a cleric, there's zero chance. It's like <laughs> there's just the illusion of determination there. It bouncing a dice makes me feel better, okay? <laughs> that's the real that's meat fair. of the issue right there you just want to roll more dice they just uh handle any monster like with that just by giving it just a massive racial bonus to grapple or trip or whatever other ability modifier it was it's a thing with monsters in second edition that yes they're technically being done piecemeal and they don't necessarily follow the same rules as the pcs but they really didn't in first edition either. It just took, it's just true. I mean, you could arbitrarily give them bonuses. Yeah, it just took a lot more jumping through hoops to make it like that. Yeah. Anyway, I just I thought I'd get your thoughts on that. Oh yeah, no worries. I, I found that I find that the uh, you know the sudden knockdown and all of that makes the combat feel more um, dire. Dire, dire, yes, and dramatic because, like, then it's like, oh man, two of our our compatriots just got knocked down by wolves. Holy cow! And then, like, you know, like it feels more theatrical, I guess, in that regard because there's a lot more movement. There's people going down and getting back up, and 
instead of just like we all just lock together and then everybody uses their three attacks to just hit each other you know you're like okay wolves don't get a reaction to you know to attack because they don't have that one for attacks of opportunity okay so you have pet wolves with the orc with fighter class levels and he just makes his wolves go in and knock everybody over and then anytime they get up the freaking orc gets an attack against you that's and that's the, just good tactics. Yeah, strategic. I know, but it's just that's the kind of thing that is going to get really annoying in the future is when a monster gets a free thing that is going to and another monster next to it has a reaction that plays off that thing's free that you don't even get a chance to avoid action. Although that. technically you do get a chance to avoid it. The chance to avoid it comes from it has to attack you first. So if it misses, but it can't do that. Heather, you just have to get a wolf friend and play a fighter and turn the tables <laughs> on the bad guys. There you go. <laughs> it also makes armor class, I think, more important in second edition than it was in first edition because And it's harder to get. Well, it is. Well, there's less things to go around your armor class. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, no matter how much you focus on armor class, there are still things that can hurt you. Like even if you have like a forty something armor class in first edition, still one in twenty chance. Yeah. Well, it's also like okay, you have a you have big heavy plate armor. I can hit you with the elemental attacks. Uh, mm. I can just bull rush you um, or do a constrict. You know, with a grapple maneuver. There's there were a lot of options that you could use if you're building a, an encounter to deal with somebody who has a, just a ridiculously high AC. Well, I think mm. that's still a thing in second edition. I mean, kind of. I I think in second edition, the differences mostly come down to training as well as, mm. you know, like armor types, decks, but there isn't a separate armor class for pretty much anything. Like it's all the same armor class now. That's true. That's true. Like there's, there's no, no touch, touch armor whatever. class. There's no, you know, flat footed armor class. You, you know, a wizard doesn't go, oh, well, what's its touch AC? You know, because they just and make your a combat maneuver attack. bonus is based on your AC, I believe. No, it's athletics. It's all dependent on what the person's targeting. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking of Starfinder. Yeah. Yeah, The ACs are very important because there's the critical plus 10 rule is wild. Yeah. Yeah. So they can critical even without getting a natural 20, possibly, depending on what the monster is in in your AC. And with no roll to confirm, criticals are a lot more likely to. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm well, just concerned about how these automatic accessibilities are going to start playing off of each other as we get to higher levels and, you know, things like that in other games and such. But, I mean, I get it. I get why they do it. I'm just hesitant. I mean, the paladin can lay on hands to damage someone without even having to make a roll now, which is also rad. So, uh, also, so, if I... Oh. On the rare occasions that I lay on hands of damage undead, it actually gives them a penalty also in addition yep. oh, to yeah, their AC. Damage. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 It's a pretty it's, sweet It's ability. a great ability. I've, just having, I've been having to heal people so much. Yeah, so. yeah because, because the wolves are trying to eat my face. That's fair. <laughs> uh, your leg. Yeah, sure. Well, really any part <laughs> they can get to, you know. True. Yeah. I will say yeah. with the Paladin's Lay on Hand ability, it it's so useful that, like, Every fight, you could go in fully topped up if you're just willing to just sit and heal, you know, and use the 10 minutes to to regain the ability, heal somebody, rest for 10 minutes, heal somebody. So that, I'd, I don't know about the balance of that well, because I know so many parties will just be like, well, okay, we'll just sit for an hour and then get everybody healed up. You know? But you're not always going to have that well, option. And I can tell you what the balance of that is. The balance of that is the wizard saying, I cast a spell and it only lasts for an hour. Let's just move, guys. I can't yeah. wait here until my spell wears off. Yeah, yeah. the spell yeah. Uh, durations also, are a lot um, lower Everything in hits real hard. Also true. Yeah. I think that part yeah. of the balance I'm, is they expect you to be at f- near full HP pretty much all the time. Yeah, and I, I am really enjoying second edition. I'm just, like I said, there are a few things that I think I'll figure out what 
if I like them more or less as we learn more about them as we play more, if that makes sense. True. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so from there, right. uh, episode five, uh, we're taking a look at, uh, you know, the courtyard. Let's see here. Jagare. Jagare. Yes. Another. Well, honestly, it's I think you're all assuming he's a Jagare, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but another There's dead person. Apparently all dead people in Dark Moon Vale are just Jagaris. Yeah, uh, that's what know. we've decided. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the Jagaris were slowly trying to expand uh, Chiliax over into Andorin. It didn't go well. And then uh, from there, you know, you uh, went to that watchtower, fought a spider, which yes. died very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Say self-reactionary. Technically two-shotted, <laughs> but still, she got it in the same turn, so. You know, it, it's like... When you like see a roach or whatever, and then you just start slamming down, or at least if you're the type to actually do that and not run away screaming. Um, <laughs> well, if you're a fight and not a flight person. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, because I uh, I definitely know that Jessica is the more the uh, flight person. Because yeah, I remember coming, in real life. Yeah, yeah in, in real life, I remember coming home to a note telling me there was a bug loose in our apartment and she had sequestered herself in her bedroom with the dog. It was a wasp. Um. Ah, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yes. I'm a bargainer. <laughs> it's cool. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. And then if they come toward me, then I'm a flight person. <laughs> Whereas I am the elected uh, fight person <laughs> where mm. I don't necessarily want to, but I will. <laughs> there you go. But we found a cool anyway. sword in the tower. It's true. It's true. Yeah. That's true. You found your first magic. After a lot weapon. of hemming and hawing over whether we were going to open this, you know, <laughs> clearly trapped sack. <laughs> <laughs> I was really just kind of sitting there for a bit. Like, I don't think they're actually going to open this. We may not actually find out what's inside. Um, <laughs> I think I don't we were know. all just, I mean, it was like, just kind waiting of for somebody to, to, like, take the lead. I don't know. But I'm just glad I got the sword. Yeah. <laughs> Now you're even more accurate. It's true. I know, and I was already pretty accurate. It's a nice sword. Uh, but yeah, and then you went inside, found some bats, decided, you know what? Whatever's in there can just stay in there and close the door. Yeah. And then... I love bats. Yeah, bats are pretty cool. They're they're nice mm -hmm. creatures. Then we found an armory. And I was struck with the sudden urge to search for secret doors, and I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> And yet you found one, so... I think your reasoning was, is if dwarves were going to have a secret door, this would be the room to put it Honestly, in. Honestly, yeah. I mean, really. Mm. It's like... They would, the they, good stuff behind exactly. the secret door. But instead we found a prison where apparently some prisoners had just been left to starve. It definitely so wasn't sad. the good stuff. And they, uh, and, and they tried to kill us. True. Yep. Yeah. Well, three of them tried to kill you. And one and of now, them decided to. And now Grim has dead. a really cool ring that we don't know what it does. I appreciate that the true. one that did not raise from the dead as an undead monstrosity had the holy symbol of Torek. <laughs> yeah. That's why. Yes, like he's probably a priest. He probably went into he went into his next life understanding. Mm -hmm. He was at peace. He stayed faithful. Good for him. It's interesting because you're certainly piecing together like bits about what happened here, but it's still kind of still pretty vague overall like what disaster actually occurred at this monastery that caused it to become abandoned in the first place i've got money on something terrible they unleash something real evil and bad and then they couldn't deal with the prisoners because like the one guy 
took his life upstairs and then everybody else either got eaten or, or ran. Yeah, something real bad happened to here. We've, we have yeah. starved to death prisoners. And then of course, this is a reference, of course, to the next episode where we found a, what was most likely a priest of Droskar had committed suicide. There's some something happened here. Something not good. That does bring us into episode six, uh, where you mm-hmm. continued your explorations. You found that book, the prayer book to Drawscar. Oh, yeah. Yep. As well as another magical weapon. It was a hammer, right? Hatchet. A hatchet. Hatchet. Yeah. Yeah, it was we a did hatchet. find the really cool hammer, but it's but it, it, that was with the priest of Drawscar, and he's it's not magical. That's it's right. just silver. 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 Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we found a kobold hiding in a bedroom. That, and Clo cried. Yes, that and, uh, was that yeah, was a ten- really really sad fight because like it's a ten foot by ten foot room with a closet off of it. There's three people standing around waiting for the kobold to jump out and attack so that they can all just beat him down. All right, it was Ross, very sad. Here's your opportunity to either make us feel better or worse. What was the deal with the kobold? Could we have talked him down? Or is it too much to say right now? Will we uncover the story of this kobold? Mm, you know, you won't uncover <laughs> it probably in this adventure, but if we do continue this series, Ooh. if we go into Crown of the Kobold King, Ooh. well, there might be some interesting bits yeah. there. It sounds like Ross was uh, having his little Nick Fury cameo to seed the seeds for the sequel. Yep. I was going to mm-hmm. say, he's a... Uh... He's playing the long game with it. Was this Kobold played by Samuel L. Jackson? <laughs> One of my favorite things about that episode was Clove making Grim say a prayer and then yes. Grim turning to Celestina and Dwarven going, yeah, that was a bad Kobold. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> True. If it does make you feel any better, though, I will say that it was very unlikely you would have formed any sort of alliance with the Kobold. Oh. Okay. Even if you could speak Draconic. And then, then we went across the hall and we uh, yeah. we found a little library that was full of fungus and Clove ran in to look for mushrooms and now she's about to get murdered by news. Hey, Grim's oh, in there yeah. too. Easy. I was going to say Grim went in too. Grim is in there too. And yeah, Grim Ooh. noticed that the puddle in the corner was not so much a puddle as it was some sort of slime. So that's probably fine. And that's where we left off. I'm actually off, so, really scared yeah. because we're first level and oozes and oozes and first edition were not things you like to encounter at low levels. A lot of them had to be fair. We did find a fair number of magical weapons. So we have yeah, that going for us. But a lot of them had like really high damage reduction against like particular like they're immune to everything but bashing and all that kind of or, you know, that kind of crud. Yeah. I'm kind of nervous about this. This is this is just going to depend on what kind of ooze we have here because they seem pretty varied. Mm. Yep. It could be a pudding. Could be. No. Mm, pudding. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say one thing. I don't want to give too much away for the next combat, obviously, but they have redesigned oozes in second edition. Okay. They've done some different Hopefully things with the them that I think. I think still make them a valid threat to a low-level party, but don't make it necessarily as frustrating. Don't make it, oh my god, it's an ooze, run away. <laughs> yeah. Or so, we just end up like we'll, wailing on it futilely for like half the rounds. Yeah, but I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes, obviously, and I am merely speculating here, but I don't think it will feel the same as it did in first edition. I'm intrigued. We shall cool. see. Yeah. Uh, from there, I did want to bring up... I. I meant to bring this up earlier, and then we talked about the episode four for so long that I didn't bring it up there. But uh, ah. on our Discord, uh, we did get a comment from Graf who said that he had a, a super picky lore thing. 
that someone, mm-hmm. Rachel, was talking about wolves not attacking humans, but that I thought the, quote, hostility between animals and humans, i.e. that adventurers often fight aggressive animal attacks, etc., was related to Lamashtu's theft of the animal domain from Desda's mentor. Corkenus. Uh, death led to the hostility between humans and animals. And Jessica responded mm-hmm. back to that saying that Rachel was talking about real in life. real life, <laughs> wolves don't routinely attack actual or attack people. But it, I will say that uh graph is correct, that that is part of that. Yep. Mm. Yeah. I was, Good I was him. definitely talking about in real life. That's like a, a huge misconception that people have. Oh, yeah. Wolves um, are mm-hmm. wolves tend to avoid humans. Yeah. Yeah. Only like they'll only attack a human if they're cornered or I mean, honestly, if they're starving yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, because people are scary. Pe- people yeah. are scary. The reason people we're called the most dangerous wolves. game. <laughs> That's a really great uh, short story. It is, you have not read yeah. it. it is a really great short story. But yeah, hopefully that clarifies a little bit as to uh, what we were talking about there. So that that is the whole reason why bears and boars and wolves and all the rest that that, that attack people in the world of Galarian is because Lamashtu is a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. She's a demon. She's a terrible <laughs> demon jackal. Except you can thing. still you can still wild empathy them and you can still make them friendly to you. Therefore, yeah. you should always try that first. Mm-hmm. That, that if, is if absolutely someone correct. is yes. capable of it. Yeah. Yeah. Pro tip: be capable of that before you try it. Well, sure. I guess. <laughs> I know that people, uh, somebody on the Discord talks about how they save our episodes to play Stardew Valley 2, which I think is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. That's awesome. I Down love Stardew Valley. Adventuring, turn on Find the Paths. Well, there's an enchanted wood and there's oozes and stuff. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, makes, that makes total sense. I love it. Plant nothing but okay. apples. <laughs> mm, apples. Bite you. you have Honestly, a really, apples yeah, are really good harvest too. once per year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you have the greenhouse, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Greenhouse. Fill your greenhouse full yeah, of apples. Just, yeah, there we go. Uh, our yeah, so our email today does come from Graf and Du Bois. So welcome from the Man of Waste, Du Bois, and he says. We're very excited about the new adventure. It's great to see the group changing up roles. It's great not to have to worry about prepping this all the time. <laughs> I was about to say, Rick, I'm, I hope that you're having fun with your chance to be a player for once. So. You know, I miss the throne. Um, <laughs> of course yeah, you do. It's a nice throne, I it's, gotta say. It's so funny because he'll always be like, yeah, I have this really cool character idea and I'm never going to get to play it because I'm always the GM. And then when he's not the GM, he's like, yeah, I miss being the GM. I will tell you. I will tell you what I really. I'll tell you what I really miss and what I really appreciate about being a player. I really miss knowing everything because that's <laughs> just sense. kind of like I really. I really miss knowing where the next plot thing because I'm sitting there. I'm like, what is down this hallway? What is going to be in this place? Why do I have to wear one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. From a player's standpoint, I really appreciate. Ironically, as this sounds, I really appreciate the fresh sense of exploration. Is, you know, as a game master, I know every single beat that's going to be happening in the story before the party even gets to it. And usually, you know, the group will throw me a curveball or two or three. Uh, see the first part of book three of Mummy's Mask. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like I generally know how it's going to go. And so now going into this and going, it's like, oh, there's all this amazing dwarf stuff. It's like, oh, there's this. What, what's going on? Why is this? Why did this dwarf kill himself? What's happening here? Yeah. It's kind of a fresh sense of exploration that really invests me in the world more. So 
I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I'll spin awesome. that on its on its backside. The the thing that I actually dislike the most about being a GM is knowing everything in advance because I get so excited that I want to share it with the players, but I know like, oh, that's at the end of this book that this really awesome thing is going to happen and I'm going to have to wait weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to get to it. So yeah. just torture for me to try to keep the secret, especially because Jess is always a player in my games. Well, if you ever want to talk <laughs> to someone about GM things exclusively, the Discord does have GM only channels. <laughs> Yeah, hey, there you go. That sure. was actually a really good segue. <laughs> good job. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Graf goes on to say, I personally love how streamlined the Pathfinder 2 system is. Mm-hmm. Most actions are a single die roll with a follow-up for damage, etc. I enjoy how a simple plus one or plus two winds up being meaningful in the new crit system and how mm-hmm. you can have grades of success. How are you finding it? I know we talked a little bit about that earlier, but still, what about the uh, success grades? How, what does everybody think about all that? I like it. I can I can appreciate it from the standpoint that I think we fought something with an AC of 17 is what we figured it out not too long ago, which means that mm. unless I rolled a 20, Grim could not critical it. But Rachel only had to roll a 17. Yep. Mm. True. And so like that idea that it mechanics, the process of having the varying degrees of success means that you can really showcase how much more skilled someone is that is good at something. Yeah, because Rachel literally is three times more likely to do double damage than I am because she's good at fighting. Whereas if you're climbing something, it's like, oh, critical success means you move at double speed. That means that someone who has four or five or six more ranks in something than another person does because of having training, expertise, mastery means that Mm -hmm. they really show off how they are that master. Also, the numbers don't get as big, which means that the math should hopefully be faster for everyone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's so true. cute. No, yeah. I'm glad you think that that's going to help the math situation at all. The only the only place that I see that math issue coming in is uh, iterative attacks. Is mm-hmm. when you go okay now it's like all right so you know I roll d twenty so I get a fifteen plus seven minus five so seventeen. Uh, Mine is more, I'm just not good at the mental math part of it. It was just never something that I was good at. If I can just write down the numbers, though, I can figure it out. No problem. I just have to see it. I can't, I can't visualize it. And so mental math and I have a, have a hate, hate relationship. I, I in general, like the three action economy, especially because as you get into higher level play, it's still the same like way because one of the things that was most like frustrating was okay how many attacks do i have now what level am i at okay do i have two attacks okay two two attacks but that's a minus five off of my current highest base attack and it got really messy whereas like Mm -hmm. here it's like okay it's always minus five i always have three attacks like that i think just makes it a lot more consistent as you play you know and level up and and keep going Mm -hmm. you kind of always know where you're at combat feels more dynamic um having the range of success in spells means that you have less like save or suck spells always to worry about like i'm going to do this thing but if i do really bad at it something different might happen which is kind of fun um i wasn't originally a great fan of like the shield thing or like using spinning an action to give an animal companion two actions but having played some with with a class that has an animal companion outside of the pod and seeing the shield kind of be raised or not raised i think it's kind of cool it makes you be more tactical and strategic uh, and it kind of freshens mm. up the gameplay some. 
That one hundred percent agree with the shield approach on that. Where it's no, I hate that shield mechanic. I that's the that's probably the one hill I'm going to die on for second edition. Is I find it really interesting because I do find myself agonizing over the choice every turn. Of it's like okay, I move up to get to it, especially because I'm so slow. Mm-hmm. That it's like I spend two actions moving up here, so I can spend two actions moving up here, or I spend one action moving up, and now I'm next to someone that needs healing, so I heal that person. And it's like, do I take a swing and try to end this fight? Or do I raise my shield and hope they'll attack me? But there's also another mm-hmm. target here. So would they even attack me if I have my shield up? Yeah. So yeah. there's a, it's an interesting give and take. Now, the fighter, there's a fighter feat that lets yes. you, as a reaction, raise your shield. Yeah. So that's yeah. cool. Because then you don't have to it's spend true. an action yeah. for it. And it, it's great because it's, well, you're still spending an action. So it's still a resource management. So is it? Is but it's it a reaction. A, well, but it's like, do I want to raise my shield or do I still want to have my attack of opportunity in case this person tries to mm-hmm. move past me yep. or spell cast? It adds an extra tactical mm-hmm. element to it that I like. Also, speaking of someone who has like, I think I have three reactions or something I never get to use. <laughs> yeah. I don't have Paladins any. Paladins get a lot at yeah, low level. It's kind of interesting. My domain also gave me an extra reaction. Yeah, I was about to say, I, rem- I, I play a paladin for a, uh, for a game outside of the pod, and it is there are so many choices. It's like, oh my god. But I like having choices. It's fun. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just, you know, I always feel like, oh man, am I making the wrong choice? But that's, I think, what Rick was talking about with that tactical decision making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I'll also yeah. point out something specific just because I have been playing a wizard, um, that they actually floored the damage to where it still feels like you're making an impact. So, like, I'll use the Electric Arc as an example. So, Electric Arc is a D4 plus your primary casting stat, which for me is my intelligence. I have a plus four. The minimum I can do is five points of damage, which is not amazing, but it's actually decent enough damage where I don't feel like I did this, you know, great magical conjuration of lightning, and it did literally nothing to the person, basically, with one point Mm -hmm. of damage, you know? Well, I mean... Clove with the hatchet without raging does a minimum of five damage. So nice. It's pretty close. Oh, so that's actually pretty balanced then mm. in terms of everything. Yeah, I think I do. That's, that's, that's Celestine's minimum damage is because she does a D8 plus four. So her minimum damage mm. is one or five. Oh, Axe is higher, but. Yeah. I say yeah. my minimum is still one, but that's because I don't have any strength. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it's interesting. the dex build fighter. On the plus side, though, it is easier to improve strength in second edition than it was mm. in first edition, like over time. It's, it seems like the rogue with the, that thief racket and everything that I took with the is really mm. the best way to do a dex thing because I add my dex instead of my strength mm-hmm. to damage. So the other side of it is also that a fighter with a high dex build has a really high AC for starters, higher than a normal Mm. fighter would. There was a strength build. And in addition to that, she gets her accuracy is so high. That's why she basically has a 17 to 20 critical range because she is so accurate. So the idea is that even if you aren't adding your strength modifier to the damage, you're making up for it because you're probably going to hit with a second attack, which Mm. another character Mm -hmm. might not. And you also trade it off with a higher AC and a better chance to critical. It's definitely a different way of playing, but I think it's still valid. And I think it still is overall working well, assuming the enemy doesn't have, you know, damage reduction. Well, resistances. So like the skeletons were a little harder. Yeah. Mm. But it's a death by a thousand cuts kind of build. Yeah. Uh, He then has a uh, graph. Then has a specific question for me. Um, when dun, someone dun, dun. crits at a recall, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when someone crits at a recall knowledge check, do you feel like you need to give them extra information? Are there other cases where you would use the degrees of success to give the party an extra leg up? 
or hinder them. So... First of all, yes, I do try to add additional information if you do get a critical success. I don't think that's actually happened yet in this pod, but I do agree that like sometimes I'll just give uh, players free information without them having to ask a question as we handle it here. It kind of helps either narrow down the questions that they have or gives them the most important information up front. In addition to that, I am perfectly fine with uh, giving extra legs up to party members who get critical successes. In general, unless the rules call for a critical failure to be a hindrance, I try not to just because I feel like it turns the game into almost sort of a um, Benny Hill style like comedy at that point. Like if people are critically failing all the time and they're like slipping or accidentally breaking stuff or whatever, it's like it's funny. But I think it does take away some of the feel of the game. So I try not to go like overboard with that sort of thing. And it's mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also just feels kind of arbitrary and mean. Yeah. Yeah. But an example of that, like the critical fail, if you critical fail a knowledge check, I believe you get the wrong information. It's yeah. true. So like that's like mechanically, that's how like, the, the system works. But well, that's yeah. interesting because like- that's a fun role play thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and especially that's where it come being a secret check really comes in. So if you have yeah. two people, say say you're facing a warg and you have two people that recall knowledge and the first person doesn't know that they critically fell and you go, that's a wolf. And then the second mm-hmm. person rolls and doesn't know that they succeed and they go, wait, that's a warg. But then the players have to say, okay, one of you critically failed. Is this a warg or a wolf? Because we don't know which one did. Yeah. See, and like, that's fun. where the secret checks really come into play where it's, you know, now you're not metagaming. You know, and it boils down to, like, the character's personalities, too. Like, if one character says, hey, it's a warg, and they're not really known for their successes at knowledge checks or their knowledge of nature, and the person that's really good at it says, no, that's just a normal wolf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm interested to see at higher levels how this plays. Because at higher levels, you're going to have one person that's, say, a master at nature. Like, say, Clove focuses and becomes a master at nature. Mm -hmm. And say that... Celestine stays where she is, which I think is she's trained in nature. Is that correct? Yes. And so it's one of those, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, I'm going to make this nature check. And Heather goes, you know what? I'm going to make the nature check too. It's both of those secret. And you go, and it's like, and then suddenly Heather's getting different information than Clove is. And you go, well, we think Clove knows more. But at the same time, it could be that Ross just rolled really badly for Clove and she critically yeah. failed and Heather rolled well. So it's still one of those. We're mm-hmm. getting two different perspectives, two different people. One person saying this mushroom's poisonous. The other one saying it isn't. And then the party has to go. We think Clove knows more about this, even if Heather's character is actually right. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to how that's going to play out. It's interesting. What mm-hmm. if it was a really big? It's, yeah, it's a uh, Boondock Saints. What about a really big guy? <laughs> a really big guy. God. A serial crusher. <laughs> That's oh, a critically man. failed recall knowledge. But uh, yeah, he does also suggest that uh, this is an interesting idea, and I don't know what the players think about it. So um, if you do critical, would you like to describe how your attacks go, or do you still like me to describe it? I'm actually I'm working on being more descriptive with my actions and attacks, mm-hmm. but I don't mind y'all describing stuff because y'all have way better, more experience at it and better with words mm-hmm. than I am as this rambling sentence illustrates. <laughs> I would like to describe it myself, um, although yeah. as a wizard, it's usually I make lightning happen, fire, you know, erupts in his chest like mm. 
it's much more interesting when you're swinging swords to be like, you know, oh, I, I catch him right above the ear and just cleave right through his, you know, head or whatever. So uh, I don't yeah. really have a strong opinion either way. Fair I have enough. an opinion. You mm-hmm. want to describe your own stuff because you're used to doing it. No, my my argument is I feel like the player should describe the attack and the game master should describe the damage. Oh, that makes sense. Mm. Hmm. I like. I it. already do that a little bit with Grim, where it's he steps forward, and it's like, and he tucks under his shield, and he swings his hammer around the side of his shield, and things like that. I feel like the players should mm-hmm. get into more of the description of how they're attacking, but then mm-hmm. because the game master is the arbiter of the success of that, then I think it makes more sense for the game master to describe the actual results of the role. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's hard to do that here. on the spot. It is very hard to describe. I mean, I'm sure Ross can attest as a game master. It's rather hard to do a lot of this on the spot where you're like, how do I describe you eviscerating this person? Yeah. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> Graf does talk about how he wasn't unfortunately able to do much with PaizoCon, but he did love the AMAs. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yay. Thank you. And uh, he does ask, how was it for us? And did we play in any games? Hi. I know, uh, Jessica, you played in a bunch, right? Jordan, you too? Uh, I ran a game yeah. called Cats Meow that was pretty fun for some path folk. Uh, uh, I yeah. played in two Starfinder uh, Society scenarios yeah. with Jess. We played Starfinder. That was about it for me. <laughs> it was fun. Fun. Uh, yeah. And he does have one last question. Um, and this is about my adaptation of Hollow's Last Hope. And Rick's Mummy's Mask Adventure, uh, he thinks that uh, you mentioned that you trim extra encounters from the AP. I do. Um, the ones that basically are just padding for experience points. Sure. And you use the fast advancement track. Mm-hmm. So he wants to know what approach I'm taking, a strict conversion, inspiration, but I do my own thing, or something in the middle. So for this, we're trying to keep it pretty close to the original adventure. I wanted to highlight the differences between first edition and second edition, so I didn't really change up you know, much in the way of the encounters. Uh, a couple of things were altered, but I still kept in pretty much everything, and we are using the medium ad- advancement track, the standard one, I guess. Mm-hmm. They technically have rules for fast and slow, but I-, I think most adventure paths are also going to assume standard. Is fast where you level up every uh, 800 points, or am I thinking that differently? No, you're right. Fast is 800 okay. points. So I basically kept it more or less the same. I will say that I took some inspiration to try to fill in a few bits of plot that were kind of, they weren't important to the main story, so they were just kind of left out. And I get that because it is only a 16-page module that also describes a town and has a few encounters outside of the monastery and all that other stuff. So like, I get why not every single detail about the monastery made it in. But I wanted to add some extra stuff that just, you know, helped, I guess, bring it home for the players, uh, give them a better understanding of what was going on. Hopefully that comes across. If you've added additional things, I will say it has been so seamless that I've not been able to tell where those additions are. Well, I've never played this <laughs> story before, uh, so I, I honestly have no idea, Ross. And yep. you know. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. I was lucky enough that I got to play this once back in college. It was, I think, um, we actually played it using the uh, the Pathfinder rules by that point, because I think 1E had actually come out by that point. But I actually hmm. played a ranger for that. It was a lot of fun. I was very tempted as a ranger for this one. No, I was a ranger, um, had favorite enemy undead, so those skeletons were fun. Uh, there you go. Nice. Yeah. So other than that, though, that is uh, from Graf and the boys in the Mana Waste. So thank you so much for writing in, Graf. We appreciate it. Yeah, Peace. thank you. Mm-hmm. And if anyone else is cool. listening to this and wants to uh, 
have their questions read on air or just uh, provide some feedback or commentary or whatever you want, feel free mm-hmm. to email us. Or, you know, just roast me or whatever. Oh. That's fine, too. I'm good no with it. Roasting us, no roasting, Ross. No roasting. You can roast That's me. It's rude. fine. <laughs> he prefers to be broiled. We've got a fire in front of us. You can also, also chat about it on the Discord that we have a Discord thing for it uh, on our subreddit because our subreddit is always great. And we like to check there and find some questions there. And if you want to leave comments and uh, all the rest of that on our YouTube page, we always mm-hmm. read those as well. That also works. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's all we've got for this time, unless anybody had any other questions before we move on to the, uh, well, slimiest battle of your adventure so far. <laughs> I'm ready for slime. <laughs> it's not a question, but I will say that as a player, I've been very much enjoying this, Ross. Me too. Well, yeah, me too. Good. Yeah, it's been fun. I'm glad to hear that you all are having fun. I hope that continues after you all get eaten by a slime. Um, <laughs> uh, wow, I thanks. mean, my, the amount of fun I'm having may be disproportionately impacted by the death of my character. True. <laughs> 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 Could still be a good story. All right, cool. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that, I guess we'll uh, join you all next time. But thanks so much for tuning in and good luck, Pathfinders. Bye, yeah. everybody. Bye, Pathfolk. Good luck. Bye, Pathfolk. Don't be eat safe. random mushrooms. Don't eat random no. mushrooms, especially the spotted ones. Or maybe ones. do. No, that's a bad idea. Don't encourage that. <laughs> <laughs>Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hollow's Last Hope is copyright 2007. Hollow's Last Hope and the Game Mastery module line are trademarks of Paizo. All Game Mastery images are property of Paizo and used with permission.